0: come here and let's show thee to this young fellow sylvia came forward ready as any rose and in a moment kinraid recognized her as the pretty little girl he had seen crying so bitterly over darley's grave he rose up out of true sailor's gallantry as she shyly approached and stood by her father's side scarcely daring to lift her great soft eyes to have one fair gaze at his face he had to support himself by one hand rested on the dresser but she saw he was looking far better younger less haggard than he had seemed to her before. His face was short and expressive, his complexion had been weather-beaten and bronzed, though now he looked so pale. His eyes and hair were dark, the former quick, deep-set and penetrating, the latter curly, and almost in ringlets. His teeth gleamed white as he smiled at her, pleasant friendly smile of recognition, but she only blushed the deeper and hung her head. I'll come, sir, and be thankful. I dare say eternal do me good, if the weather holds up, "'I the frost keeps on.' "'That's right, my lad,' said Robson, shaking him by the hand. And then Kinraid's hand was held out to Sylvia. She could not avoid the same friendly action. Molly Corney followed her to the door, and when they were fairly outside, she held Sylvia back for an instant to say, "'Is not he a fine, likely man? I'm so glad as you've seen him, for he's to be off next week to Newcastle in that neighbourhood. But he said he'd come to us some night,' asked Sylvia, half in affright, "Ay, I'll see as he does. Never fear.' for I should like for you to know him a bit. He's a rare talker. I'll mind him a-coming to you. Somehow Sylvia felt as if this repeated promise of reminding Kinraid of his promise to come and see her father took away part of the pleasure she had anticipated from his visit. Yet what could be more natural than that Molly Corney should wish her friend to be acquainted with a man whom Sylvia believed to be all but Molly's engaged lover? Pondering these thoughts, the walk home was as silent as that going to Mossborough had been, the only change seemed to be that now they faced the brilliant northern lights flashing up the sky, and that either this appearance or some of the wailing narrations of Kinraid had stirred up Daniel Robson's recollections of a sea-ditty, which he kept singing to himself in a low, unmusical voice, the burden of which was, For I loves the toss and say. Bell met them at the door. Well, and here ye are at home again, and Philip has been, Sylvie, to give thee thy ciphering lesson, and he stayed a while, thinking thou'd be coming back. I'm very sorry, said Sylvia. "'more out of deference to her mother's tone of annoyance "'than because she herself cared either for her lesson "'or her cousin's disappointment. "'He'll come again to-morrow night,' he says. "'But thou must take care, and mind the nights he says he'll come, "'for it's a long way to come for naught.' "'Sylvia might have repeated her I'm very sorry "'at this announcement of Philip's intentions, "'but she restrained herself, inwardly and fervently hoping "'that Molly would not urge the fulfillment "'of the inspectioneer's promise for to-morrow night. "'For Philip being there would spoil all, and besides, if she sate at the dresser at her lesson, and Kinraid at the table with her father, he might hear all and find out what a dunce she was. She need not have been afraid. But the next night Hepburn came, and Kinraid did not. After a few words to her mother, Philip produced the candles he had promised, and some books and a quill or two. What for hast thou brought candles? asked Bell in a half-affronted tone. Hepburn smiled. Sylvia thought it would take a deal of candlelight, and was for making it into a reason not to learn i should have used to candles if i'd stayed home so i just brought them wid me then thou mayst just take them back again said bell shortly blowing out that which he had lighted and placing one of her own on the dresser instead sylvia caught her mother's look of displeasure and it made her docile for the evening although she owed her husband a grudge for her enforced good behaviour now sylvia here's a copy-book with the tower of london on it and we will fill it with as pretty writings as any in north riding sylvia stayed quite still "'unenlivened by this prospect. "'Here's a pen as'll nearly write of itself,' "'continued Philip, trying to coax her out of her sullenness of manner. "'Then he arranged her in the right position. "'Don't lay your head down on your left arm. "'You'll ne'er see to write straight.' "'The attitude was changed, but not a word was spoken. "'Philip began to grow angry at such determined dumbness. "'Are you tired?' asked he, "'with a strained mixture of crossness and tenderness. "'Yes, very,' was her reply. But thou must not be tired," said Belle, who had not got over the offence to her hospitality, who moreover liked her nephew and had to boot a great respect for the learning she had never acquired. "Mother," said Sylvia, bursting out, "What's the use on my writing a bednago, a bednago, a bednago, all down a page? If I could see to use on it, I'd ha asked father to send me to school. But I'm none wanting to have learning. It's a fine thing though, is learning. My mother and my grandmother had it." But the family came down in the world, and Philip's mother and me. We had none of it, but I has set my heart on thy having it, child. My fingers is stiff,' pleaded Sylvia, holding up her little hand and shaking it. "'Let's us take a turn at spelling, then,' said Philip. "'What's to use on it?' asked captious Sylvia. "'Why, it helps one it to reading and writing.' "'And what does reading and writing do for one?' Her mother gave her another of the severe looks that, quiet woman as she was, she could occasionally bestow upon the refractory, and Sylvia took her book and glanced down the column Philip pointed out to her, but as she justly considered, one man might point out the task, but twenty could not make her learn it if she did not choose, and she sat herself down on the edge of the dresser and idly gazed into the fire, but her mother came round to look for something in the drawers of the dresser, and as she passed her daughter she said in a low voice, "'Sylvie, be a good lass.' Such a deal a store by learning and father had never send thee to school as is struck by me sore if philip sitting with his back to them heard these words he was discreet enough not to show that he had heard and he had his reward for in a very short time sylvia stood before him with her book in her hand prepared to say her spelling at which he also stood up by instinct and listened to her slow succeeding letters helping her out when she looked up at him with a sweet childlike perplexity in her face for a dunce as to book-learning poor sylvia was and was likely to remain and in spite of his assumed office of schoolmaster philip hepburn could almost have echoed the words of the lover of jess MacFarlane: i sent my love a letter but alas she cannot read and i love her a the better still he knew his aunt's strong wish on the subject and it was very delightful to stand in the relation of teacher to so dear and pretty if so willful a pupil Perhaps it was not very flattering to notice Sylvia's great joy when her lessons were over, sadly shortened as they were, by Philip's desire not to be too hard upon her. Sylvia danced round to her mother, bent her head back, and kissed her face, and then said defyingly to Philip, If ever I write thee a letter, it'll just be full of nothing but Abednego, Abednego, Abednego. But at this moment her father came in from a distant expedition on the moors with Kester, to look after the sheep he had pasturing there before the winter set fairly in he was tired and so was lassie and so too was kester who lifting his heavy legs one after the other and smoothing down his hair followed his master into the house-place and sitting himself on a bench at the farther end of the dresser patiently awaited the supper of porridge and milk which he shared with his master sylvia meanwhile coaxed lassie poor footsore dog to her side and gave her some food which the creature was almost too tired to eat philip made as though he would be going but daniel motioned him to be quiet sit thee down lad soon as i've had my victual i want to hear a bit o news sylvia took her sewing and sat at the little round table by her mother sharing the light of the scanty dip candle no one spoke everyone was absorbed in what they were doing what philip was doing was gazing at sylvia learning her face off by heart when every scrap of porridge was cleared out of the mighty bowl Kester yawned, and, wishing good-night, withdrew to his loft over the cow-house. Then Philip pulled out the weekly York paper, and began to read the latest accounts of the war then raging. This was giving Daniel one of his greatest pleasures, for though he could read pretty well, yet the double effort of reading and understanding what he read was almost too much for him. He could read, or he could understand what was read aloud to him. Reading was no pleasure, but listening was. Besides, he had a true John Bullish interest in the war without very well knowing what the english were fighting for but in those days so long as they fought the french for any cause or no cause at all every true patriot was satisfied sylvia and her mother did not care for any such far-extended interest a little bit of york news the stealing of a few apples out of a scarborough garden that they knew was of far more interest to them than all the battles of nelson in the north philip read in a high-pitched and unnatural tone of voice which deprived the words of their reality For even familiar expressions can become unfamiliar and convey no ideas if the utterance is forced or affected philip was somewhat of a pedant yet there was a simplicity in his pedantry not always to be met with in those who are self-taught and which might have interested any one who cared to know with what labour and difficulty he had acquired the knowledge which he now prized so highly reading out latin quotations as easily as if they were english and taking pleasure in rolling polysyllables until all at once, looking askance at Sylvia, he saw that her head had fallen back, her pretty rosy lips open, her eyes fast shut. In short, she was asleep. Aye, said Farmer Robson, and has almost set me off. Mother'd look angry now if I was to tell you you had a right to kiss, but when I was a young man I'd a kissed a pretty girl as I saw sleep, for you'd say Jack Robson. Philip trembled at these words and looked at his aunt. She gave him no encouragement, standing up making as though she had never heard her husband's speech, by extending her hand and wishing him good-night. At the noise of the chairs moving over the flag floor, Sylvia started up, confused and annoyed at her father's laughter. Ay, lass, it's ever a good time to fall asleep when a young fellow is by. Here's Philip here as bound to give a pair of gloves to. Sylvia went like fire. She turned to her mother to read her face. It's only father's joke, lass, said she. Philip knows manners too well. He'd better, said Sylvia, flaming ground at him. If he'd a touched me, I'd never had spoken to him no more, and she looked even as it was as if she was far from forgiving him. Hoots, lass, wenches are brought up some in nowadays. In my time they'd a thought not such great harm of a kiss. Good night, Philip, said Belle Robson, thinking the conversation unseemly. Good night, aunt. Good night, Sylvie. But Sylvie turned her back on him, and he could hardly say good night to Daniel, who had caused such an unpleasant end to an evening. That had at one time been going on so well. End of chapter eight. Reading by Amanda Martin Sandino. Bothell, Washington.